Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Aliza Kelly. So for new listeners, um, I just want to quickly reintroduce myself and sort of anchor us today. Where are we? What are we doing? What are we going to be talking about? So I am a professional astrologer. I write the monthly horoscopes and have print columns at Cosmopolitan Magazine. I work with clients one-on-one all day, every day um, to help them decode and understand the mysteries of their birth chart. I lead digital workshops um, and I'm, I'm always very excited about those. We are building this community of people from all around the world gathering to learn about different lunar movements, planetary motions, compatibility. And now recently, I also have founded um, what is called the Constellation Club. The Constellation Club is the, the extension of many years of work and building. And it is a community. I am calling it a virtual coven. Um, what I have noticed through doing these workshops in person and then also now digitally is that there are so many people out there who are interested in astrology, magic, ritual, spell work, occultism, spirituality, esotericism. And there's not really a, an easy place for us to all congregate and to talk to each other, to support each other um, in a safe, protected, supportive community. So from thinking about this and realizing that, you know, this is, it's not easy to find people who share these values all the time. You know that, you know that, right? You're not always going to feel safe to talk about your interest in astrology or ghosts or lunar work, right? With your boss or your colleagues, or even maybe the person you're dating. It's sometimes a little stigmatized. So when I was learning and studying astrology, I was very, very blessed to actually have a physical community here in New York. Um, and that is how I learned. But not everybody has access to that physical community. And to be quite honest, times have changed since then. We, are, we have different needs now. Um, a lot of the work that we do is online. We're studying and learning and diving deeper into astrological concepts by by trying to find good sources on Google, trying to find good Instagram pages that are reliable. So I wanted to build something that really gave us a place to gather. And the Constellation Club was born. So the Constellation Club is now starting to to grow. And I, I have found and figured out the right platform to scale this on in an intimate way. And I am launching a Patreon to support the Constellation Club. And I'm really, really excited about this. So the Patreon is, is the hub of where the Constellation Club is. So you can join the Constellation Club through Patreon and you are going to be given access to two different platforms. One is a private Instagram group, Constellation Club. And the other is a platform called Discord that is like Slack. It's like a 24-7 chat room. So both of those are places where the Constellation Club lives. 
So we have Discord and private Instagram. So that is at the first tier. At $5 a month, you're going to be able to get access to the Constellation Club in both of those places. Now, the next tier is called Stargazer. And I'm really excited about this tier because what we get with the Stargazer membership is virtual coven meetings as well. So with a virtual coven meeting, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be gathering monthly and we are going to be diving into the themes of the month. We're going to be doing deep birth chart analysis where all of us will be basically taking out our charts and unpacking them together. The best way to learn about astrology is by understanding your own chart. So don't feel like shameful about wanting to get into the nitty gritty of your birth chart. That is literally how you learn different techniques. So we're going to be learning all about our birth charts, aka strengthening our astrology, understanding our comprehension. Um, We are going to be performing these rituals together, new moon ceremonies, full moon ceremonies, When we have a major occurrence like the eclipses, which are just actually now a couple of months away, we're going to be also congregating around that, figuring out how we're going to work with it. So all of that is accessible in the Stargazer membership. You also are going to get a monthly bonus podcast, which is going to be a deeper dive into astrology and esotericism and occultism. It's not going to be an interview-based podcast. It's going to be something where we really go into the charts again. We go into the magic of it all. You're also going to get friends and family discounts, 15% off all services. All of that at the Stargazer membership level at $20 a month. Then we step it up to the luminary membership level. With the luminary membership level, you are getting quarterly 45-minute birth chart readings. So four times a year, we're going to be getting on the phone for 45 minutes and going through your birth chart. That's a pretty big deal. We're also going to be sending out signed copies of all the books, and they're all going to be personalized to your birth chart. So that means that I'm not just going to be signing them. I'm also going to be writing very detailed inscriptions about your birth chart. So that's something you're going to have forever. And you're going to have access to the virtual coven meetings. And you're going to have access to the Constellation Club. Okay. And then the last tier is only, there are only 12 of these available. And the reason there are only 12 available is pretty self-explanatory. It's called solar power. And what you get at Solar Power, which is a $200 contribution, is you're going to get monthly ritual gift box curated to your sign. So in these gift box, you're going to find a candle, you're going to find oil and a spell and something magical as well. So maybe it's going to be a little bit of incense. Maybe it's going to be an amulet. You're going to have something curated for your sign for the themes of that month that you can work with. So obviously, I can only do 12 of these a month, right? So there's only 12 solar power slots available. So you're going to get that monthly ritual box. And in addition to that, you're also going to have access to FaceTime with me. I don't FaceTime with my clients. Um, I only offer phone readings. I don't even offer in-person readings, even if we're in the same city. So with this solar power membership, you're going to get 30 minute 
monthly one-on-one FaceTimes with me where we can talk about anything you would like. We can go through your birth chart. We could go through your crush's birth chart. We can talk about, we can do magic work together. We can do spells together. It's your time. It's your slot. And don't forget, you're also getting those 45-minute quarterly readings as well. So a lot is embedded within that tier. So all of this is going to be on Patreon. It's Aliza Kelly's Patreon. So patreon.com slash Aliza Kelly. And you're going to find all of these offerings. And this is all what the Constellation Club is about. So I am so excited. Please head over to that and get your get your tier going, get your membership on. Um, another exciting, very special offering is that for the first 14 days that this is live, you are also going to be able to get a 2020 preview mailed to you, hard copy, the most visually gorgeous, aesthetic breakdown of what is going on in the stars next year. And that's going to be available for the Stargazer membership and above. So sign up, get on it, join the Constellation Club. We're we're so excited to have you come on. We're, I'm so excited to build this virtual coven. It's it's really what I have been waiting to figure out. I've been trying to figure out how to do this. You know, there are so many of us all around the world. Where do we all belong? How can we all link up in in a place that supports this growth and this work? So very excited. <laughs> so in this episode, I talked to the amazing Megan Massacre, who is a Virgo. She's a tattoo artist. She's a model. She's an entrepreneur. She's an author. Um, she's an inspiration. And you guys are going to love this conversation. We talk about her her life journey, how she became a reality TV star, um, and what that means on a practical, everyday level, what it means to be on reality TV, and then what it means to be off reality TV, and at the same time, be an artist, be an innovator, be someone who's breaking the rules. So enjoy episode 25 with Megan Massacre. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Eliza Kelly, and today I am sitting with Megan Massacre, who is a tattoo artist, uh, an entrepreneur, a model, a Virgo, all of these amazing things. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, Megan and I connected because Megan is the one of the owners of this amazing tattoo and retail boutique in the Lower East Side called Grit and Glory. Um, one of her colleagues there, another one of the co-owners and I actually went to middle school together. That's so cool. <laughs> it's amazing how, I don't know, life life just is long and beautiful and you meet so many people along the way. And I think that that's kind of one of the best things about. Yeah, your connections with people are like the best things about life and the world feels so big, but it's really so small. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, and you never know how something is going to ultimately come back around and influence you and have meaning 
right? Like I was just telling Megan that when I was in the art world, when I, my first curatorial project, I actually hosted at Grit and Glory and Emily and Veronica were so lovely in opening their space to me. And then, you know, that was however many years ago, six or seven years ago. And now here we are having this conversation. You guys just released a line that's all about retrograde. Yeah, it's perfect. (laughs) It's perfect for this. (laughs) So if you wouldn't mind sharing who you are, how you got where you are, and just sort of like your your elevator pitch of a story with our listeners so they can get to know you. Okay. Well, I am Megan Massacre. <laughs> I'm a tattoo artist here in New York City, as you said, co-owner of the Grit and Glory Boutique for about five years now. I've been involved with them. Um, I first moved to New York about 10 years ago uh, to do um, some reality television. I think that's where most people know me from is the reality TV that I've done. Um, I did a show called New York Inc. I did another one called America's Worst Tattoos, which is kind of the worst tattoo show name ever. (laughs) (laughs) Did they really have the worst tattoos? Well, yes. People came in with the worst tattoos, and then I covered them up and made them beautiful tattoos. (laughs) But... um, Uh, And then I did another show called Bondi Inc., which was actually based in Sydney, Australia, but it was on Netflix here. Um, So that's where most people would have saw it here in the U.S. Um, But my career didn't start there. It started about 15 years ago. Um, I was 18 years old. I had just graduated high school. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. You know, it's that pressure time, like go to college or get a job or figure it out. And I literally had no clue. So I just started going to community college. Um, I was paying for it myself. So I was working this really terrible job selling furniture at a department store to make enough money to buy like, you know, get one or two credits, like a term, like it was, it was rough. Right. And I really didn't enjoy it. And, um, one of my coworkers at the furniture store, she wanted to get a job as a body piercer at a local tattoo studio. So she asked me one day after work if I'd give her a ride because I drove. She didn't. She was only 16. <laughs> I was 18 at the time. Can you um, be a body piercer at 16? Well, see, that's the thing. We went to <laughs> we went to the tattoo studio. She tried out for the job and they said, oh, wait, you're not 18. You can't have this job. <laughs> so it kind of was a bummer for her. I felt bad. But however, while she was trying out for the job, she had told the tattoo artist that worked there that I could draw really well because that's Basically, all I did all day at my furniture job was just sit at my desk and draw. I was literally voted the worst employee (laughs) at my job because I did absolutely nothing. (laughs) Um, So she told the guys I could draw really well. So they asked me, they kept asking me to draw stuff and it was like slightly annoying because I was like, don't you do this? Isn't this your job? (laughs) While I was waiting. But then I realized they were sort of like seeing what I had. So I was like, all right. Um, And they kept kind of like saying things like draw an evil butterfly, draw this name in tribal. And I was like, all right. And I kept drawing and they thought it was really good. And they ended up showing the owner and he looked at it and he's like, have you ever done a tattoo before? And I was like, no, of course I haven't. And he's like, all right, you want to do one right now? And I was like, yeah, like, okay, sure. So he actually had set up all his tattoo equipment and I did a tattoo on the shop's apprentice like right then, oh my like God. that night. Is that how when you're when you're a shop apprentice? Is that the type of shit that you need yes. to endure? Yes, <laughs> unfortunately. Is someone coming in with dropping off their friend for an interview and then they end but up they like gonna, gonna get a touch? I mean, but to be fair, he was totally down. Like also, he just. I think apprentices are also the kind of people that are totally down. You just know that you're sort of like in in it for that life. 
Um, <laughs> but um, and he was really cool. His name's Timmy. He was a cool dude. I was friends with him for years. Uh, after that, um, I did my first tattoo. It was his name, Timmy, like on his leg, and it started off really shaky and terrible. But by the end of it, it actually wasn't bad at all. The why was good. The why was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically they were like, wow, this is pretty good. Do you want to learn how to tattoo? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to learn how to tattoo. And, and were they like, were they looking to hire at that point? Or did they, what was their well, incentive? At the time, I had thought it was because they were impressed with my artwork skills. But re- in reality, at this time, all tattoo shops were filled with men. There was like not really women tattooers. I mean, there were a handful of women tattooers out there, but none that I ever saw. And it was a very, it was a rarity, you know. So I think what they saw as an opportunity, like, oh, here's this really young, cute chick. We can just get her in here doing tattoos and that'll get guys Did in the door. Did you have tattoos at that point yourself? No, I had like just turned 18 years old. I looked like I was 14 years old. Like, cause I was really like. <laughs> right, because right young. now you look like you're 15. So. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I looked really young. I had no tattoos. Um, yeah, it was actually funny about that is that I didn't have tattoos for about six months of my career. Like, because I just couldn't pick what I wanted. It's kind of a big deal, your first one. And then after that, you don't care. And then you just get a whole bunch. (laughs) Um, But one day I had walked into work like six months after starting. And my boss was like, all right, today you're getting tattooed. And I was like, oh, I don't know what I want. And he was like, well, you have to get tattooed when I'm done work today because everybody's too scared to get tattooed by you because you look like you're 14. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay. And that's how I ended up getting my first tattoo. But yeah, um, you know, that's how my career started. It was not how people typically start a career. Usually if you want an apprenticeship, you have to go to many tattoo studios and you have to really just hang out and buy them coffee and really convince them sometimes for a year or more before they'll even consider you. Um, so the way that I got in, I would consider very easy and lucky in comparison to most people. However, I did have to endure a lot of garbage for years. I worked at that first tattoo studio for about a year, but tattooing was a different kind of industry back then. It was very heavily gang related. And I had to work for a lot of really unsavory people um, in a lot of really uncomfortable environments. Um, And I just tolerated it because that's what it was, right? And I worked there for about a year before it became way too much. I couldn't tolerate it. And for years, I would say the first like five to seven years, I bounced around to many different tattoo studios trying to sort of like find my fit, learn as much as I could. Learning a lot along the way from a lot of people, but being in a lot of crazy situations that I just couldn't stay in, you know? And then the tattoo industry really started to become very professional. I would say about 10 years ago is when I feel like it really, really started to become more of like an artistic industry. Well, I'm sure I feel like that probably corresponded with the with the tv shows too exactly and i mean the tv show started way before that like i would say about my second year of tattooing is when the show miami came out which was the first tattoo show and i remember my jaw like dropped like i was like if you would have told me tattooing would have been an interest for people on tv i would have never believed you when i started tattooing it's not like i got in it thinking it was a possibility to be on tv to be famous even make a lot of money it just wasn't part of the gig at the time so i was so surprised but i remember looking at it and being like I could do that. I want to do that. And who knew that, you know, years later I would get that call and I would do that job and it would work out really well for me. And that's why I'm here in New York. So I'm extremely thankful for that. So tell us that story, too. How did you fall into reality TV? Well, um, interestingly enough, um, like my first show was New York Inc., but I had actually been reached out to by TLC, the network that did the show um, years prior, because when Miami Inc. was on, 
there had been like a shift in like um, the shows. Like it went from just Miami Inc. to LA Inc. and Miami Inc. And they were looking for other women to work on the Miami Inc. show. And I actually got a call from the casting then to see if I'd be How interested. How did they find you? Um, I don't really know. Wow. I just think that there was like a really small pool of female tattooers at that time. I mean, I had only been tattooing for two years. Um, a lot of times they would go through like, I don't know, the internet, like MySpace and they did they would like message me on there or call the shops, you know? And it was really funny because they would call the shops and pretend that they were different pe- like people that wanted to get tattooed because they assumed <laughs> our bosses would be angry and like try to get us on the phone, but you can't get tattoo artists so on the phone. So casting Asians like to role play as undercover cops. Yes, they really do. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that's been done to me. Um, so they had kind of, they gave me a call about it then, um, but I'd only been tattooing for two years. They wanted me to do portrait tattoos, which I was not nearly qualified to do. And I was just like, listen, I'm a little uncomfortable. And they were like, well, if you're not going to do it, you don't get the job. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not going to do it then. And it was actually a really like heavy decision for me because I was like, what if this opportunity never comes again? You know, you want to be ready for any opportunity that comes. But I was very fortunate that it did come again. You know, years later, um, same thing. They called my tattoo studio, pretended that they wanted a tattoo. (laughs) The manager was like, hell no, you're not talking to her. Creep. I don't know who you are. And hung up the phone, like was very aggressive. (laughs) Um, So they actually had messaged me on MySpace later because it was still that time period. And um, explained who they were. And I was super skeptical. But I was like, all right, I'll meet you. I'm like a commonplace up here in New York, actually. So me and a couple friends came up here, visited New York, and we visited with the the casting people and they were legit and they wanted me to do it. So I did an interview and literally a month later we started shooting. Wow. Yeah, it was very fast. So they had their they had their whole vision for what they wanted the show to be. Well, I think they actually had been casting for a while, but they were having a really hard time finding a female tattoo artist for the show. Not that there wasn't a lot of them. They were just looking for something particular. Um, and then I guess one of the castmates on the show had uh, had heard of me, had knew my work. Because at that time, I'd already been tattooing for like seven years. So I had a pretty I had a pretty big following at that point before even TV. Um, and uh, they just decided to reach out. And I guess I just, I worked out, you know? So what was the experience like of filming that and being part of, uh, being part of that like ensemble with the production? Did you feel like, were you worried about like selling out? Was it very um, staged? Well, there was a, it was a lot. We'll just say at first, like the very first season, we shot three of them. The first half of the first season for me was like probably one of the most stressful times of my life. I had never done anything like that. I had done like a little acting in like music videos and stuff like this, but nothing extensive, right? And I've never done reality TV. And I was just so overwhelmed. I found myself being completely inside my head, just constantly thinking about what I was saying. I didn't want to sound stupid. Um, and reality TV breeds a lot of dramatic situations. And I, I struggled because I didn't I didn't want to be dramatic because I didn't want um, my fellow peers in the tattoo industry to judge me because the majority of them were telling me, this is a horrible idea. You're selling out. You should not be doing this. I mean, there was a couple of them that did support me at first, but... Most of them had seen the past reality shows and was like, don't make a joke and a mockery of our industry. So it was like a lot of pressure, too. Um, so I like cracked. Like I was like miserable the entire first half of the season until I had actually made really good friends with the crew on that show. Um, and 
like one of them sat me down and was just like, Megan, I know that you'd be amazing at this, but you were just so inside your head and you're so worried about what everybody else thinks. And you just need to realize like, this is your opportunity and you just need to be yourself because who you are as yourself is an amazing person. And if people don't like it, fuck them. So after having that bit of encouragement, you know, from one of the crew members, it was something that I really needed to hear in order to just like go back for the second half of the season and just be like, you know what? Like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to own it um, and just be myself and just give it my best. And also he was like, you might get fired if you don't. <laughs> so that was a little bit of incentive too to know, wow, I'm doing this so poorly that I actually might get fired. So I should you know, give it my all. And I did. And I actually ended up having a wonderful time. And I realized that I actually really love being on TV. And I really love um, working in that kind of environment. And I ended up being really good at it once I sort of fully committed to it. And, and what do you think it well. takes to be really good at it? Um, I think it takes like a bunch of different things, like a level of confidence, like just being confident in yourself. Um, being like self-aware of what you look like on camera, I think. Um, not being nervous talking on camera, being able to just talk in general to people. It's, I don't, I don't even really know how to describe it, but my friends all tell me that I have this switch that goes off that the second that like I have to be on or like on camera or do anything that just the switch goes off in me and I'm just automatically like can do it. And I don't know what that is. Do you feel like the personality that you have in front of the camera is you like just dialed up to 11 or do you feel like there's different attributes that come out in those situations? I would say me dialed up is definitely accurate and also dubbed down in a different way. Like I'm also a lot more like PC, like a lot more careful about the things that I say. Um, I would say that my natural personality when I'm really comfortable can be like a little abrasive. I curse a lot, like <laughs> really excessively. I don't know. It's just so I just kind of, I've sort of made this personality that's like very TV friendly. I don't do the, all the things that you can't really do on television in that personality because I've just, I did it for so many years. It just got ingrained in me that that was what's appropriate. And then I'm sure that after you had the success of these shows that all of the people who were like, oh, you're going to sell out ended up wanting to befriend you and hang out with you all the time because as it turns out nobody cares yeah it it did kind of end up like that but also you know the tattoo industry itself took a really interesting twist um because when miami came out back a while ago you know there was like a couple tv tattoo tv shows and it was like a thing for a minute but then it kind of died out when New York Inc. came, that was sort of like the second wind of this tattoo television. And then it just kind of blew up. And all of a sudden, there was all these tattoo TV shows. So suddenly, a lot of the people that were giving me a hard time about being on TV were signing up for all these mm -hmm. other shows. And everybody wanted to be a part of it, which to me was totally cool. Like, I didn't feel salty about it. I'm happy that they came to the point where they realized, like, hey, like, our industry becoming bigger and more modern and more accepted is just going to make more success for all of us as a whole, you know? So I was happy that they were a little bit more open-minded. But yes, of course, there's a lot of people out there that I know just talk to me because they feel like, oh, well, she can do this for me or has this connection for me or whatever. And that happened a lot since television, which I don't enjoy. But I'm pretty, I have a pretty good bullshit meter. Um, That's so important. Yeah, so, and I have a really good group of friends that... Um, if my bullshit meter doesn't go off, theirs all will. And they will go very far out of their way to 
to keep those people away from me or let me know, you know, which is pretty great. I think having a really core group of real friends in a world like this, especially when you're in the public eye is so necessary for your like mental health. (laughs) How do you um, how do you create those boundaries and protect yourself? Because you're also you're in your shop, you're actively tattooing and you are working with your clients and you now are running like a full-fledged business, a storefront. So do you find that you need to create safety and precautions for yourself in terms of like who comes in, who you see, who wants to get a tattoo? Well, I mean, there is sort of like a couple levels. Like if you want to get tattooed by me, you can't just walk in and get tattooed. You know, I have to set up an appointment with me that's like way in advance. Um, I have assistants that help me out with that. They go through and kind of vet everybody and talk to everybody, you know, because a lot of people request tattoos that I don't want to do either. (laughs) So I only tattoo specific things. So they kind of go through this whole process. They come in, they're filling out paperwork, they're leaving their information and their IDs, you know, so it's very like professional atmosphere. And the shop is always full with like 10, 15 people uh, that work there. So it's uh, it feels like a really safe environment for me because we're all like very aware of everything that's going on. The tattoo studio is located, you know, more towards the back of the studio. So you have to come in, you get greeted up front. Then, you know, you go to the waiting area and wait there. So there's just, I don't know, the way that everything's set up, I feel really comfortable. Luckily, I've never had anything too crazy happen where I feel like I need any more security. <laughs> but um, when I travel a lot, I think that that's where I worry about it the most. Um, I travel a lot to like Central and South America to work, to tattoo and do a lot of tattoo conventions because that happens to be my biggest market, which is really interesting. Um, But I do have to like hire security to go with me everywhere, basically. Wow, Um, that's really intense. Yeah, um, just to make sure that everything's safe and fine. And when I'm at these conventions and events, they're there with me. And I mean, some countries, they're in the hotel with me too and like uh, some I've even had a country where they stood right outside the door the entire night that I was there because it was that like gnarly where I was (laughs) so it depends on where I go and what I'm doing you know but luckily you know here in New York everybody's pretty cool everybody's pretty jaded they don't really care yeah I feel like (laughs) New York is I was just on the plane back from Los Angeles and um Jason Alexander was on my flight in first class and like I saw him clocked him no problem whatever the woman next to me almost had a fucking meltdown because of it. She kept, she was like, do you watch Seinfeld? And I was like, yes. Like, I'm flying back to fucking New York, duh. And then she was like, do you know who's up there? And I was like, "I yes, I do. And she proceeded to show me pictures of him. You're like, he's sitting right, right there. Right, like, I get it. Uh-huh. I know who it is. And then would periodically leave her seat to go up to first class and just like do a walkabout to see what he was doing like the Ugh. poor dude was sleeping did you have secondhand embarrassment like, yeah so I didn't hard. even want to be in row handle. 17 was humiliating it was a humiliating uh-huh. row to be uh-huh. in on that flight <laughs> I can't handle them. like I've never oops sorry I I I definitely like appreciate celebrities and I'm a fan of people and what they do. But when I see people act like that, oh, my God, it gives me the worst city and shivers. Yeah, in the I, world. same with me. I mean, I don't know if it's a combination of like, I think it is. I think it's a healthy blend of ego and being like, I'm not going to give them a fucking time of day. Yeah. And then also <laughs> just like humiliation for myself to do that. And I'm also from New York. So I think that that's also kind of part of the culture here is like, mm-hmm. no, you don't show your you card like that. You just don't bother people yes. like that. Yes. They're, they're people just like us and they just want to relax on their plane ride and not right, have to have a bunch of weird conversations. <laughs> right. And like alone. not have 
someone from row 17 like creeping Stalking around them. the first class cabin like <laughs> inappropriate yeah not cool <laughs> so another thing that we were talking about um before we before we mic'd up was a I guess in sort of the spirit of creating safe spaces, um, Grit and Glory being a a very welcoming and inclusive and then female-friendly shop and how important that is for the industry and also as a space for people to both work and and go as clients too. Yeah, um, I like to think of Grit and Glory as like a really safe space for everybody. Um, I'll be honest, when I first opened it, it wasn't like the purpose, right? Like I just wanted to open my own tattoos. Actually, it was just my own private studio because I went in business with the girls for the clothing store because it's half a clothing store, half a tattoo studio now. Um, But then my friends just kept asking to work with me. And I was like, okay, I guess, okay, I guess. And then after a few of them came, I was like, all right, this is a full-fledged tattoo studio now. Um, And I realized, you know, before I had opened the studio, I had never worked with another female tattooer. Like I've had guest artists at shops I went to, but never like full time with another female tattooer. And that was the first time. And I noticed all, a lot of my female tattooer friends were the ones asking to come work with me. And I realized it's because there's not a lot of really comfortable spaces for women to work. I mean, Thankfully, in this day and age, there's a lot more now, like things have changed a lot. But, you know, five years ago, even when we opened the studio, there wasn't. Um, So, yeah, I think it's really cool that it naturally sort of became that space that people feel comfortable. It makes me feel really, really good about it. And I'm the whole like, you know, people are getting tattoos now that I would say if if their archetype existed 20 years ago which it did they would not be getting tattoos like tattoos are now something that very widely accepted right like it's just it's not uh, a niche thing anymore it's not something that demonstrates like how hard you are exactly (laughs) it's like i mean i guess i still feel like it makes me look tough but yeah exactly it's more about artistic expression honestly or at least that's how i like to think about it and i'm sure that there's also a fluidity between safe spaces being created and the whole uh, practice opening up and being more expansive because people who are, you know, interested in getting a beautiful tattoo that has like a specific artistic angle to it would not have gone to those traditional tattoo places to get like hated on and well, judged. yeah because it was like it's like a cool kids club you know you totally. come in if you don't look the type if you don't act the type if you don't know the right people then you know you sort of get treated like you're an idiot and when you're going into a space where you're trying to spend a lot of money you know trust people to put something on your body that's going to look good for the rest of your life trust them to put you through pain trust them to put you through like a health procedure hoping that it's safe and clean you know and then touching you when they haven't even met you before and could be for hours it's like the last thing that you should have to worry about is feeling comfortable just saying hello to somebody right totally right or talking about the price of a tattoo or just in general ideas you know so I think that it's I was also mentioning to Megan before we started recording that I've I don't have very many tattoos, but I have enough to have had different experiences with them. And I had my my largest tattoo, which I is on my ribs. And I was totally I had heard about this, you know, don't get a tattoo. One of the most painful spots for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So I was came in like so prepared to just be in excruciating pain. And the person that I was 
that was tattooing me was so cool. He was so like chill and um, non-judgmental and just easy. And the tattoo just immediately took to my body and it wasn't red or swollen. And it, it like just the healing process was I mean, it like lasted like a day, the healing process. Mm-hmm. And my body was just like, that's cool. pretty incredible. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. great. We're happy to have you here. Yeah. Whereas I have a tiny little tattoo on my arm and the experience that I had at another Lower East Side spot, not grit and glory, yeah. <laughs> um, was so shitty. The guy was such a jerk. He was so mean and just like uh, dismissive when I was coming in. And it like my body rejected it. Like the ink was raised. My arm was itchy. It like took six months to heal this little shimata tattoo. Um, and I really think it's amazing how your body physically is going to also react to your environment. And you see that so much with a tattoo because it really is the blend of the physical experience and the emotional one. Yeah, it's a really interesting way to think about it. I actually haven't thought about it like that before. You know, I think because as a tattoo artist, my brain is so technical when it comes to it. So I'm like, oh, well, it's probably just the depth in which they tattooed you. But you know what? I totally believe in energy and I feel that. I think, again, as we were talking about before we mic'd up, um, you know, those negative or positive experiences attach themselves to your tattoo, right? So it's like, you're going to tell that story. You're going to tell that story forever. Whenever you look at your rib tattoo, you're going to remember what a pleasant experience you had. And whenever you look at the other tiny tattoo, you're going to remember that negative experience. And that just really sucks that that has become part of that memory that you have that you're going to look at all the time and forever. And, you know, that's why as a tattoo artist, it always pisses me off to hear stories like that because we have such a level of responsibility to the people that we tattoo because they're going to remember us forever. You know, we might do a thousand tattoos, but, you know, those people are going to remember every tattoo and every story. And it's our responsibility to give them a pleasant experience. And also you should just want to, because you should love what you do. We're tattoo artists. Like we don't, we have one of the best jobs in the world. Our job is not hard. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's hard in in ways, sure, because it's work, but it's like a wonderful, cool job that gives us the opportunity to make art for a living. And you should have a passion for that and want to share that passion with every person that you encounter. I think that there was definitely an attitude shift as well, you know, that I guess I was talking to um, my friend Anka Lavrive, who is the owner of Black Iris Tattoo in Greenpoint. And she was saying, like, there's no more room to be an asshole. Because if you're an asshole these days, like there's too many artists who are all way too talented and people are just not going to go to you. Exactly. Exactly. The the pool of artists to choose from now is infinite. There's so many people. So, yeah, one bad attitude. You could be the best tattoo artist in the world. But if you have a bad attitude, there's another one down the street that's just as good as you that is pleasant. Right. Totally. Uh So I want to talk about your chart for a moment because you you have some really cool things that I want to flag for you and for our listeners who always love to know about the astrology of it all with good fucking reason. (laughs) So one of the first thing that I want to mention is that you are a Virgo. And a Virgo is a very important, uh, it's a very important role to play in the Zodiac because Virgo is the organizer. It is the Virgo is the second earth sign, and it's all about sort of putting everything in its proper place, um, perfectionism, alignment, um, labeling, categorizing, 
making sure that everything is sort of systems are running, systems are flowing. That's the sort of surface level Virgo stuff. Virgo is about the practical application of how can I, how can I be of service in a uh, logical, tangible way, right? How can I set the system up for you? How can I give you a nice tattoo and make it sure it's hygienic and clean? And these are all also Virgo attributes. And then Pisces is about how can I spiritually heal you? How can I spiritually connect with you in these ways? So both Virgo and Pisces are linked to um, acts of service and helping and trying to heal. And they just have two different modalities of approaching that. But of course, everything in astrology is one of the same. So to be someone who is is finding those practical applications, you're also accessing the energetic field too. So both of those things are going on with you simultaneously. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think so. That sounds neat. I think that Virgo is a great um, tattoo placement because you're dealing with something physical and tangible, but there also obviously is a lot of emotional implications in there as well. Mm -hmm. So you're working in both of those planes simultaneously. Another thing I want to talk about in your chart and as a concept that we haven't discussed yet on this podcast is the concept of the midheaven. Mm-hmm. So the midheaven is what noon would be in your chart. So it is the very tippy top of the birth chart. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the highest point. It is the peak, the pinnacle, and it symbolizes your public image, the way that people see you, your legacy, uh, your reputation, how you're going to be remembered. So when we look to our midheaven, to the very tippy top of our chart, we can see how we're going to leave an impression on this world, how people are going to think back and recall us. So your midheaven is in Leo, Mm -hmm. which is also where you have what's called a stellium, four or more placements. Um, So you have your sun in your 10th house, you have your mercury in your 10th house, Mars in your 10th house. All of these are conjunct, which means they're on top of your midheaven, you are born very close to noon. So that's why the sun is up in that position. Um, and having your planets connected to your midheaven means that your your personal planets, I should say, means that a lot of the way that you are moving through the world on a day-to-day basis is, is also directly impacting how you're going to be remembered and what reputation you're going to be leaving behind. In Leo, this is the the sign that's associated with performance and theatricality and visibility. Um, Leo energy is like that of a bonfire. So it likes to build community by being sort of the centerpiece of that. So you having worked on television, you being someone who's in the public eye, who has, you know, who is being seen and is visible is exactly what your midheaven is doing and how those personal planets, which symbolize your day-to-day realities, are interacting with it. So, you know, when we see a 10th house stellium, we know that that person is going to have a really impressive career most of the time, that they are someone who is that very... That makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> it's in your chart, right? It's, some, it's someone who is very forward moving and um, is, is sort of climbing up to the that very tippy top. So you have a Scorpio rising and the Scorpio rising is how you perceive the world. So unlike the midheaven, which is going to show how other people see you, so people see you in this very lioness Leo way, your rising sign is what you see when you look out, your perspective and vantage. Scorpio 
is very different than Leo. Scorpio is thinking about the cracks um, beneath the reality of things, sort of what is embedded within the truth, right? How do what is all of the stuff that we're not seeing? Scorpio is that water sign um, sort of like shadow dweller who wants to know what the secrets and realities are of everything. So you're very aware of your privacy, of um, of how other people are sort of energetically affecting you, which also makes sense for your bullshit meter. Um, Scorpio rising people tend to be tend to sort of have this skeptical outlook on things i do yeah <laughs> where it's like why are you asking me that question like yeah. what is, what is the real what's the what are you trying to get at i'm here? always trying to figure people out around me for yes. sure it's always like i feel like i'm constantly like interviewing them or just like wanting to know what they're going through or you know just where they're at in their head at all times so scorpio uh-huh. yeah. so while people are going and the interesting thing to remember is that our Rising sign is always going to be squaring the midheaven. It's always going to be creating this hard 90 degree angle, which means that they're sort of have very different ways of approaching the world. So what that tells us in astrology is that the way that people see us, the way that we sort of project out isn't always going to be the way that we feel we're being seen. So even you sort of, you know, your experience working in reality television at the very beginning of it where you were in your head and you were like, oh my God, how am I, like, am I, are they going to spin me as an asshole? Are they going to spin me as someone who's like, doesn't know what they're talking about? Is this going to be bad for my career? All of that is very scorpionic sort of processing. And then when someone was like, yo, just be a Leo, it was like, okay, fine, I'll turn it on. And that, I think, is a lot of what the relationship is between those, is that there is, like, the switch that needs to go on with your Leo midheaven that's like, no, I'm just going to dial it up and be in the public eye and not really do this right now. Yes, exactly. Whereas in your personal life, there is more, um, things are more sensitive and they're more emotional and there is more sort of wanting to make sure that people really get you for who you are. It is really important to me. I find myself constantly communicating. Like, it's, to be a good communicator to me is like the the most important thing ever. That I know that people know exactly where I stand, what I mean, what are, where I'm coming from, all that stuff. So that makes sense. And, this is, and that's also going to be very much reflected in your Virgo sun, which is mercurial, and your Gemini moon, which is another mercurial placement. So Mercury plays a really significant role within your chart, communication being sort of the the main symbol of that, um, which means that you're also very affected by Mercury retrograde. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like I am. I feel like I am currently. <laughs> we are, as at the time of this recording, we are currently in a Mercury retrograde. You were saying that it, the trains were all fucked up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I very underestimated my train situation on the way here. Um, also, yeah, I've had I feel like I've had so much anxiety and I'm ne- I haven't dealt with that in so long. And then just since Mercury retrograde, it's back. Despite all of these um, cosmic <sighs> misadventures, you just released your second book. Yeah. Well, the first one, it was a coloring book. So it's a book, but I didn't, you know, write anything in it. Just drew a lot of pictures. But um, my second book just came out. It's called The Art of Tattoo. And I did write some stuff in it. Um, It's more of like a 
photo coffee table book of a lot of my tattoo artwork, but I do write a bit about my career and about my process as an artist, like whether it's finding inspiration to make artwork or a little bit about tattooing. So it's a pretty all-encompassing book that's pretty cool and easy to read for anybody, whether you're a tattoo artist or just a fan of tattoos or art in general, or even just, you know, pretty colorful pictures. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, What was the process of putting that together it was really really long and hard i'll be honest putting a book together um putting a coloring book together for me was really easy because the main component was drawing and that's my profession right it took me three months to put that together uh this book took about three years wow yeah we projected about six months and then yeah it took about three years i mean there was a lot of hiccups along the way um technology being one of them probably every single time mercury was retrograde for you (laughs) yes um so um a big part of it was actually that um originally the book was just going to be a huge compilation of my tattoo portfolio from the past 15 years Um, But a big problem with that was that a lot of the photos that I've taken throughout my career are just they're not the quality of photos that you need to make books these days. Like in the beginning of my career, I was buying disposable cameras from the drugstore and then developing them. And that was my tattoo portfolio, you know. It has some like pastiche to it. I'm sure it looks cool, but maybe it doesn't print well. (laughs) It doesn't print well. um, So I basically had to scour a lot of like my tattoo clients which was it it was it was impossible I couldn't retake all the photos there was like 400 photos that I had because I've tattooed all over the world and for years and you know you don't you lose connection with people I've tattooed I tried to do the math on how many tattoos I've done I've probably done like four to five thousand tattoos like how how do I even keep track of that I don't know um but I just had to sort of like track people down and try to get more photographs taken um I have um, my friend Lonnie Lee Photography. She took a lot of the pictures for the book and she did a really, really amazing job. Um, So between the two of us finding these people and taking the pictures, it took a long time to get that all together. Um, And then originally I wasn't really going to write anything, but we didn't have as many photos, so we had to fill some space. So we're like, all right, how about a little chapter about your career? Nothing too in-depth. It's not an autobiography, but just like a little bit of fun information for people. Okay, how about a little about inspiration? Okay, how about a little about your travels? Okay, how about a little about the tattoo process? And then we just sort of pieced it together. Um, and it was it was definitely like a long and fun but very stressful process. But when I saw it all come together, the book is really beautiful. Um, I really wish I brought you one. I came from my house and they're at my shop, so I'm going to get you one oh, <laughs> so you can I, see it. I can't wait. <laughs> um, but it came out really beautiful. It's like an art piece in itself, you know, which for me, um, even though I hope the content is enjoyable for everybody, what I really care about about is how things are aesthetically pleasing and the fact that it looks beautiful is just that's what makes me happy (laughs) for sure so where can we find you where can we find your work how can we schedule a fucking appointment (laughs) (laughs) so um i guess online is how most people do it these days i have an instagram it's at megan underscore massacre i do have a website it's meganmassacre.com as we were saying i operate out of my tattoo studio here in new york city in the lower east side it's called grit and glory Um, and also you know we have the website gritandglory.com which is both our clothing store and um, our tattoo website to make an appointment with me you just 
have to email me. It's megamassacrebooking at gmail.com. You can find that link on my website and on my Instagram. And it's actually pretty easy to get tattooed by me. I think a lot of people are deterred from emailing because they assume I'm really, really busy, which I do get a lot of emails, but I specifically only book about three months in advance because I travel a lot for tattoo conventions and don't want to have to reschedule people. But I do tattoo a lot and I try to get in as many people as possible. So I really really get a tattoo. Yeah, I'd be happy to tattoo you. I encourage everybody, you know, just shoot me an email and we can chat about it. I have um, lovely assistants. My lovely assistant, Liam, will answer your email and answer all your questions. You know, Um, even if people want to just come in for a consultation, I do that too. So before we close, um, any thoughts on for our listeners, like tattoo etiquette? For when you're coming in to get a tattoo or coming into a shop is there anything that like people should not do well yes there's a lot of things but i would say when you're coming in for your tattoo you want to make sure you dress really comfortably in an outfit that the artist can reach your tattoo you mean i shouldn't wear like a really skin tight outfit so that I can take some really hot pictures of myself while I'm getting tattooed. Exactly. You can bring that with you and then change into it after. <laughs> but keep in mind, like the tattooing process is really messy. I can't tell you how many people's clothes I've ruined while tattooing. So, you know, try to wear dark colors. Try to not wear something that you're going to hate throwing away later because you're probably going to have to and make sure I can reach the tattoo. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting there half naked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I would say the next big thing would be don't move. It's people really want to take pictures and take videos and they want to talk to their friends. They're very expressive with their hands, but they don't understand just because I'm tattooing your right arm. It doesn't mean that when you move your left arm, it isn't moving your whole body. (laughs) People wiggle so much when they're getting tattooed. And I'm like, hey, you know, you're messing this up like as I'm doing it and they just don't care. So if I could give anybody a piece of advice, please just stay very still. And just if you need to take a picture, just ask your artist first, like, hey, do you mind? So they can pause and pose and not be actually tattooing you during it. (laughs) And what should people do like if they are in excruciating pain and they're wiggling because they're in so much pain? Well, that's actually, you know, it's more mental than it is physical, right? Um, Because we are able to deal with pain. It's all just how you compartmentalize it, right? I try to explain to people, listen, you you just got to sort of zen out a little bit, like relax and allow yourself to feel the pain. It's when we fight pain that we get really tense and twitchy and stuff like that, right? But if you just sort of like allow yourself to feel it, right? Like, okay, you're not going through a bad situation. You're just getting a tattoo. You're going to be fine at the end of it. Right, and like you made the decision to do it exactly (laughs) you're You're gonna be perfectly healthy and fine when you're done you're gonna have a beautiful tattoo so just relax and just let it happen and then people who actually can get to the point mentally where they can sort of meditate a bit and allow that to happen they realize it hurts about half as much it's never going to be pain-free right but it will hurt a lot less if you just stop fighting it i always say that stubbing one's toe is more painful than getting a tattoo it is <laughs> it totally is because it's like you, you didn't you don't want to stub your toe like that came out of fucking nowhere and now it's a shooting pain and you can't get up and you're screaming on the floor whereas with a tattoo like you know what you're getting you're into. mentally prepared yeah. yeah like and it's something that you want it's something that is exciting and that you're gonna have forever and the pain is not going to it's like a very momentary experience and you can also like 
you know, you can ask, like, what section are we on now? You know, like, yeah, I actually tell people if they can't see the tattoo, I'll try to tell them as I'm doing it so that they have some sense of time passing because it can be so weird when you can't yeah. see a tattoo. I'm like, all right, we're working for working. I mostly work on animals. So I'll be like, oh, we're working on the eyes now. OK, the nose. All right. Now the ears. You know, I try to oh give them God, a I'm heads gonna up. Get Lucy tattooed. on. You me. should. I would <laughs> love to tattoo Lucy. She's so cute. That'd be a great tattoo. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Megan. This has been amazing. Yeah, thank you for having me. 